Hello and welcome back to the Arsenal Therapy Podcast. My name is Farhan, also known as Gunner since 96. And as always, joining me here this morning is Adam Keyes. Adam, are you ready? I'm always ready, Farhan. Okay, good stuff. Here we go. Arsenal have lost to Manchester United, but have they? No, it's pre-season. Another episode of Where's Kai? Is it time to move him elsewhere? Not yet. And do you think Arsenal need to revert back to the two sixes model? Absolutely not. Okay, good stuff. Adam, good morning. How are you feeling after that terrible defeat? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm feeling damn good. It's it's preseason. I always say preseason's instructive. It's not a the results don't really matter with preseason. It's no longer just about fitness, but it's about understanding. It's about setup, positional play, all the things that go into making a team like Arsenal play with the cohesion that we do throughout the season. Obviously, we're Arsenal fans. We all want to win every game, and uh, a couple of goals would have been nice. But no, I'm good. I'm good. How are you this morning? Because during the game, you seem to be having a tough night. I just can't believe that we've lost to Manchester United. I am absolutely <laughs> just, you know, I feel so upset and annoyed and frustrated. No, of course, I don't feel... Um, like that, I, I'm feeling very chipper this morning. Actually, um, I think a, a lot of fans got the wrong end of the stick when I put out my notorious tweet uh, after the game. What did it say? Let's have a look. De- demoralizing. Right. Yeah, so, so, so yeah. So what I said was, I don't care how you spin this. It is a demoralizing result. Um, and there is a few reasons why I put that out there. The most obvious one being that's how I was feeling at the time. But also a good reflection of, um, you know, what we are experiencing this preseason compared to what we experienced last season. I think it's nice to, um, you know, draw comparisons from from the two uh, preseasons because, you know, it's too early to tell to to maybe look into the future and see um, what could happen in the opening five six games. But I do strongly believe that. Due to that overwhelmingly positive experience in last season's preseason campaign, it was carried through in the beginning uh, few games of, of of last year's campaign in the Premier League. Um, and so I can't help but wonder what a result like this does um, mentally. And, and look, we're going to have a good chat about the the, uh, the whole idea of a preseason, what it represents, what it means, and what the whole ob- what the main objectives are from a preseason. Um, and then obviously, you know, we can talk about the game, what, what was good, what was bad. Uh, but ultimately, look, nobody wants to lose a game to Manchester United, even if it is a preseason friendly. I mean, we've got too much pride for that. And so the, the, the notion I was getting at was it just doesn't feel nice, you know, to be losing yeah, to one of your arch rivals. It never feels nice to lose a game. And I think it's it's obviously Man United, but I think it's just any game that we lose. We we went on such a high and such a long winning streak last year that we're almost, aside from the run-in where we lost a few games, it feels very strange for Arsenal to lose games now. And we've just got such high belief and such high expectations for this squad that we expect to go out and win every game. 
And that itself's a nice feeling because it's been a long time since we had that and that we went out and we were angry at getting beaten by teams. And as I said, it's it's pre-season, so I'm not going to get too worked up over it. But, but yeah, I'm looking forward to talking through today and seeing kind of I think we're, we are going to have some different views on this. But but yeah, I'm, I'm very keen to talk through it with you. OK, well, look, let's get started and let's start right at the very top. I want to go in a kind of chronological order, not just uh, discussing the game itself, but um, what, what we feel or what the realities of a preseason friendly are. So what, what would you say preseason is supposed to mean or when the club plan for a preseason what objectives do they have for um these these particular games because otherwise we could spend the whole summer on the training ground but it, it won't be as effective will it no i think the old cliche is the preseason is the foundation for the season and back in the day that would have been just fitness and it's why Arsene Wenger initially used to take the boys off to the Austrian Alps, place some behind closed doors friendlies and so on. Obviously, the commercial side of the game has led to that change in a lot. And uh, I know a lot of people kick off at having to pay to watch pre-season and stuff. I, on the other hand, didn't grow up having pre-season available to watch. I think it was around the Emirates Cup time that we first started being able to see pre-season friendly. So... Mm. I'm more of the view that I feel quite lucky to be able to watch preseason games because I, I as I said, I see it as instructive. So when uh, the obviously the cliche is the foundation for the season, but I think that's no longer just fitness. It's very much the positional understanding, the cohesion, the the intensity, and the mentality that go into preparing for a season are all now things that go into pre-season it's not just like let's just get as fit as possible the days of Arsene Wenger playing on Nani at centre-back and uh Reese Nelson on the right wing when he was 17 are gone we're now seeing a blueprint of how Arsenal are going to play and it's also a learning experience for the players so the likes of Kai Havertz I I'm not sure I didn't watch enough of him at Leverkusen so I don't know exactly where he played there, but the left eight role at Arsenal is a very specific position and it's a new position for him to learn. And so that's a key example of what preseason is about. Even Declan Rice has typically always played in a double pivot. Arsenal haven't played a double pivot for about 18 months. So it's whilst Rice is a top class six, he's had Suchek beside him at West Ham. He's got Bellingham beside him for England. At Arsenal, the closest we come to a double pivot is when Zinchenko inverts, and that does give us that two in midfield. So without Zinchenko, we are a different side. But these are all lessons that you learn during pre-season, and it's like yesterday we saw a lot of Rice drifting off to the left. That's a pre-season learning that somewhat, these players are very intelligent, and Archada clearly believes highly in them. So these are all learnings that you get from pre-season. And without these games, you can't lay down that, that that groundwork because you can only do so much in the training ground and you can only do so much with behind closed doors friendly. So playing in a relatively like, high intensity environment, we even saw fans fighting in the stands yesterday. Mm. So it's uh, it shows that whilst it's a friendly for us as fans in this country there was 82,000 people there last night though 
they they were taking that very serious and that may be their only chance to see Arsenal for a long time. So same with the United fans. So those kind of environments really help build up a foundation and that's why I love preseason. I love watching it. I don't obviously when we win I'm buzzing. But I don't read too much into the results. I look more at the performances and last night wasn't one that I was overly impressed with. There's no point glossing over it. It wasn't the best performance for, and that's the reality of it. it. It was disappointing to see fans obviously fighting each other in the stands. We don't want to see that, especially um, in a game where it's overseas and um, on on one hand, it's, I guess, you know, I'm not endorsing violence in any way, shape or form, but it's nice to see passionate fans because I guess some of us hold the uh, impression that, you know, passionate fans only belong to match going fans who are largely based in the UK. But it's really nice to see Arsenal have such a strong group of fans who are willing to lay it all on the line. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just looked at it and thought, what a bunch of dickheads. It's like, calm down. It's like, I, I don't know what it was over. You know what was but... funny? It was Arsenal fans fighting Arsenal fans. And you can see a bunch yeah. of United fans just staring <laughs> like in amazement, you know. Um, but we've seen that before, haven't we? I, I hope it's not an omen for what's to come next season. Um, look, uh, the points that you made very much in agreement with. Um, and I think the idea of preseason has changed over the course of time. Um, my my worry and concern doesn't come at the result particularly. It comes with the the football um, and and the, and the football that was played over the course of the ninety minutes or so. So w- when I look at preseason games before uh, they start, so when we were given the list of fixtures, it was very clear to me that Arsenal want to play. Um, they they want to play a level of competitiveness. Otherwise, they would be setting up friendlies against teams like Wrexham. Shout out to Chelsea. Yeah. Um, but they opted to go I, I, for... I, I don't know if... Um, <laughs> Arteta may be happy doing that and uh, playing very much a kind of, I guess, away from the limelight. So no one knows what he's working on, mm. concocting up something. So obviously the, the key reason for this tour is commercial. Commercial. Yes. So, yes. Uh... It, it, I mean, yeah. I, I guess. I guess it, it's difficult for us to be able to put it into um, chrono, like hierarchical order as to why uh, we're playing in the states against these oppositions. But one of the key fundamental reasons is commercial. There's no doubt in that. Um, some of the other reasons why we have these games are to, as you mentioned, um, experiment with tactics, uh, different player positions, um, fitness is one of the big ones. But what I got quite um, frustrated at with fans who are, you know, quite very vocally against the tweet that I put out was the whole argument that preseason is solely for fitness and it's solely to get players up to uh, standard. Um, I think, I think it's quite a lazy way to look at the preseason. I think that, I think a whole lot more goes into it. Um, When we're playing against the caliber of oppositions like United and Barcelona, a lot of it has to do with mental focus. I think a a level of getting ready for competitive games as well. It's not to say that these games are competitive in their nature, but we want to get ready to play competitively in the Premier League, also in the Champions League. Um, you know, Bonding with each other, a level of sharpness, bringing that feel-good factor. And so 
when we experience defeats like this, it is, a, you know, you could make the argument that it, it can be viewed as a step back because now we have to rebuild that bit of confidence, that bit of fe feeling good about each other. Um, and you could, you could see, you know, during the game that players were, um, uh, uh, during parts of the game, very static. They were, you know, standing around, whereas we're used to seeing Arsenal a little bit more free-flowing, uh, you know, being a little bit more uh, intuitive in in their, you know, in the way that they move the ball. So that's, I, th I think we're both in agreement, you know, that the, the, the objectives of pre-season is not to just focus on fitness. It is very much... Um, getting ready for the first game of the season and you need you need a little bit of everything don't you for that first game of the season it, it can't yeah. it can't just be making sure everyone is is sharp and uh you know fully fit it has to be everything else we have to be ready to make sure that we're going to war against uh, nottingham forest you know um okay let's move aside from you know this whole philosophical <laughs> conversation about what pre-season means to the starting lineup that Arteta announced, um, yeah. I was very excited when the preseason lineup. Yeah, uh, I was uh, too. Yeah, when it came out. Um, yeah, give me your thoughts. Yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was good. It was um, obviously the the key thing to pick out was the midfield. Rice, Havertz, and Odegaard playing together for the first time, but it was also the three of their first starts. So before this game, because Odegaard missed the Nuremberg game with a knock. And then he came on in the second half against the All-Stars. Rice obviously wasn't there for the Nuremberg game and again came on in the second half for the All-Stars. And Havertz has come on in the second half of all of both games. So it was very much the three of them playing together for the first time, but not just that, it was the, their first start individually mm -hmm. in any of our preseason games. So... So, yeah, obviously, we want to see them playing together. It's going to be the engine room for the season. It's going to be where kind of all the magic descends from. And it was nice to see them on the team sheet. Obviously, Jurian Timber getting his first start as well. Uh, with going so strong, I would have liked to have seen us just top it off and play Jesus up front. But Arteta seems dead set on getting Eddie as many minutes as possible. Mm. And um, so, yeah, but all in all, I was very excited to see this game start. And I think when you see Bakao Saka's name, you know there's always a chance of something magical happening. Yeah, I was quite surprised to see Eddie on the starting lineup. And I was even more surprised to, to not see Balogun um, throughout that 90 minute period. Um, but yeah, it was very, very, it, it was a very exciting starting lineup. You know, we got to see Timber uh, start alongside. Saliba, Gabriel, and, and Tommy Asu as well. Another really positive, uh, if you want to take you know positive away from that game, was, was one of the few, wasn't he? Um, Declan Rice playing with Odegaard and Havertz. Really interested to see how that would work out. Uh, interestingly enough, though, I didn't really focus on the United starting lineup until the game started, and they they, they you know they they came out with a pretty strong side as well. Um, going yeah, going into the game, did you feel like it was going to be a preseason friendly type of game, or you know it was going to be a little bit more a level of competitiveness? Yeah, I think any preseason game over the last like four or five years, there's been a bit more to it. I think especially when you're playing teams from the Premier League and so on. There is just a bit more bite to these games, and 
I think a bit like Arteta takes these games very serious. He's not alone in that. Ten Hag took that very serious last night. And it was interesting going into it. I saw United accounts on Twitter saying, I can't believe how shameless Arsenal are going full strength here. Mm. But yeah, the only players that they didn't have, obviously Onana aside, as he signed about two days ago, but were Casemiro and Rashford. And uh, that was as strong of a Man United team as they could have put out. And similarly, we didn't have Zinchenko, White and Jesus. So I I felt that the two sides were relatively balanced in terms of quality and the star players in the team. Obviously, Partey was on the bench as well for us. So all in all, I thought it was a fairly balanced lineup. But with the... I guess the fan rivalry, the history between the two clubs, there was always going to be a bit more bite to it. And then there's always Lisandro Martinez being on the pitch, who's just a horrible little player, and uh, which he's a brilliant footballer, but he just gets away with so much. And I think he's someone that he just adds a level of intensity to every game. Yeah, a player you'd love to have on your side but hate to play against. And there are a few oh. of them out there on the pitch as well. Fernandez, um, I think he had a few moments as well. He did. Uh, Anthony, you know, you know what to expect when you're playing against someone like Anthony. And I feel like Tommy has dealt with him really, really well, actually, in that first half. Um, let's go into talking about the game itself. So the first 10 minutes, I felt like um, Arsenal were very much in control before we conceded the goal and you can see you know in the opening first two minutes we were pressing United forcing them back into their 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 half um knocking the ball about with ease and comfort it looked like we were carrying you know the confidence from the MLS All-Stars game into that one um so yeah I felt really good in that opening 10 minutes uh, but it was it became very clear to me quite early on what they were trying to do and I think a lot of teams will try and do this next season and Arteta needs to really come up with a plan to try and stop teams from getting in behind um and you know it it is it is the unfortunate um consequence of playing with such a high line you're going to get teams who are going to teams with uh, really quick players like Anthony, like Rashford, um, Fernandes in the opening uh, 10 minutes got in behind um, with a really good long ball. I can't remember who it was from. But first warning signs that, you know, um, they are sharp and they are dangerous. I think it was Anthony, wasn't it, who scuffs the shot. Really, really good opportunity. Um, did you feel like that I mean, we were playing in our in our away kit, but it did feel like a bit of an away game when, you know, you started to hear booze ringing around the stadium every time we held possession. Um, 80,000 yeah. fans. It did feel that, like we were in the minority. That was happening for both teams. And I, I think it's one of those you only really hear it whenever it's booze against your team. But mm. it, it was definitely there for United as well. So I, I find it really weird booing at games. I think, like, there's the pantomime villain stuff. But just booing a team for the sake of it, it's all very American. And <laughs> yeah, it's it, it just, I, I, I don't get it. Um, I, I've never been someone that boos at games anyway, even if a player I don't like it's or has been winding up the crowd or has done something, I've just never really got the whole booing thing. Mm. But it's, um, but yeah, I, I guess the away kit thing definitely led to the, the away game feeling but I, I did think going into the game I wonder is it just they want to flog as many of the new shirts as possible whilst out there 
because obviously we did the All-Stars Challenge in it. We did the um, the MLS game in it. And now we've done the United game in it as well. So I, I would say there's a commercial thought behind it. It's like the red shirt's probably selling all right because it's a nice shirt. This one's a bit more questionable. So let's try and just get yeah. people. How do we try and sell as many of these shit shirts as possible? I know. <laughs> Wear them at every game. <laughs> Disclaimer, I did buy one. Yeah, did you? Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I give in. Yeah. I'm, I was, I'm... I was, the more I've seen it, the more I thought, you know what? This is actually not too bad. I hate it, but I kind of like it. It will go down in history as one of those shirts that you just you remember because of how bad um, it is. What was the last you know bad away kit that we've had? I can't quite Oof. remember. I mean, there's been so many good ones. I don't think in the Emirates era we've had many bad kits. Maybe the Puma. The um, Puma kits weren't great. The um, the navy blue and green one wasn't a big fan. Yeah, of that. I wasn't a big fan of that. There's been a there's been a few in the during the Puma days that I wasn't keen on, but but yeah, I can't really think of them off the top of my head now. Hmm. Anyway, so yeah, talk to me about the first ten minutes. How did you see it? Yeah, I thought we were quite good. We looked like we were moving the ball quickly. There was some really nice movements, some good understanding down the right, and it was no surprise Saka was at the kind of centre of the good bits in our game. So that lovely bit of play where he gets in behind plays it into the box inch perfect off his right foot through to martinelli and gabby should have scored he's had two bites at that and it's one of those i think if that goes in it's probably a very different game and it's i was really surprised to see him miss it it was i because of i, I don't know about you but the quality of the stream on arsenal player wasn't great again so oh um, really so when i bring it up the yeah. first game, no yeah yeah no it's it's, it's yeah but, it's not but yeah it was so i had to like double take on who actually hit the shot because i was so surprised it was martinelli that missed it but I again thought, i thought it was Havertz at first because they so, both so looked very similar yeah yeah so and i, I was like Havertz, how are you missing that and then I, I looked at it with martinelli and i was dead surprised but yeah. again it's one of those you get those mistakes out in pre-season and it, but yeah, I do think how that have gone in very different game because I think we were starting to click and first 10 minutes, we looked good. Movement was good. It looked like there was a bit of understanding there and it was very much feared towards the right, which you would expect given that Saka is probably our best player. So, and again, Saliba in the first 10 minutes, there was a couple of times the commentators say, oh, he's under pressure here. And next minute, he just skips past his man, carries it three or four yards and just gives it with ease. And it, again, he looked very, very assured, comfortable on the ball. And it just showed really what we missed whenever he got injured last season. And I don't know about you, but Saliba doesn't just look good on the ball, but he looks physically very good again. And that's a huge positive for me. But, but yeah... First 10 minutes, I thought overall we looked pretty good and I was expecting us to go on and get a couple of goals at that point. But then kind of from the end of the 10, it changed a lot. And I, I don't think it actually changed as much in the United's favour as we maybe thought. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could see, as, as I mentioned at the beginning, they were trying to find a way to get in behind that high line, um, you know, on a few occasions. But the main concern for me was how 
how easily they were able to just, you know, I guess, walk through the midfield. Um, we, we, we did, I mean, even in possession as well, we did look like it was a bit of a struggle to build up possession. And, you know, funnily enough, as soon as part A comes on, it just looks slick and smooth again. Uh, but one of the few players who was, who was you know, uh, maintaining that level of aggression and maybe the intensity um, was Tommy Asu. And I, I, I use those two words, aggression and intensity, uh, that is probably the, the, the main theme of that game. And one of the arguments that I'll use to back up my disappointment, we failed to show that level of intensity um, throughout the course of the game. Now, some will argue that's because we were trying new things. There were players playing in new positions, but I just feel like we weren't. We didn't turn up to the races. I mean, the first opening 10 minutes, great. And then it cut, the levels dropped a little bit. United were looking a lot more confident and a lot more sharper. Um, but Tommy Asu was someone who throughout the game was just really, really good. He kept um, Anthony in his pocket. He was very aggressive, and considering he's someone who's had very little game time, he does look like, um, you know, he he's he's almost c- carrying on from where he left off. Really comfortable in possession, uh, really intelligent the way that he decides to, you know, either uh, press, go forward, or retreat, go back. Um, and someone else who uh, not who had a polar the polar opposite of a good game was. Um, Surprisingly, Aaron Ramsdale and early signs of what was to come was some of the goal kicks. Shocking. Yeah, was that was that so, partly down to the pitch? Do you think? I don't know, but sometimes Aaron Ramsdale's kicking has been a bit erratic for a while, and I think it's. Uh, I don't know if it's down to decision making where he he used to play these crazy passes, and I'm wondering if he's been instructed to go long a bit more, but. But yeah, some of those goal, well, not just goal kicks, but kicks just out from the back, the long passes as such, they were going straight out of play, they were going beyond players, or they were kind of bouncing at a really awkward height for people to deal with, so we were losing the second ball. But yeah, he had a really, really poor game, and um, just looking at his, his numbers, his long balls, he only had four accurate long passes last night. And but weirdly, it was a bit of a contrast because when he had the ball at his feet and he was going short and he was playing it out, I actually thought he looked quite good. But whenever he was going longer, he looked really, really nervous. He just he didn't look comfortable on the ball. And then the this shot from Bruno, I, you would back him to save that every day of the week. You would mm-hmm. back pretty much any Premier League keeper to stop that. And it was one of those, it looked like a fairly weak shot by someone like Bruno's standards. And again, I had to double take when it went in. It was I, I, kind of in shock. Mm, I'm just so watching you... it back now. And yeah, it was, a, I guess the first mistake was allowing him to run into space because... Um, you know, you see the defensive line, they kind of just stand, don't they? And rather than going to him and closing down that space, allowing him to get into a good space on the edge of the box takes a sublime long effort. And, you know, straight at Ramsdale, you could say, get a stronger hand, push that away or do anything, but get it in the back of your net. Uh, I did feel like it was, it was a bit poor from Ramsdale, but too early in that in that stage of the game to start worrying. Um, I want to talk about 
Bukayo Saka a little bit because up at, before the goal was conceded, he was, as you mentioned, a very bright spark in that game. Um, one of the few individuals who was kind of making things tick in the, on the edge of the box, but it wasn't quite working as it as it usually does. The obvious missing element was the overlapping run from Ben White. Um, it seemed to me that although you know he's someone who's able to take on his man and um, beat them quite easily it's not enough to just you know instruct Saka to run at players and and you know get into good spaces you need that element of support don't you and not having a, a, an overlapping uh, fullback was you know made it made his work a little bit ineffective um did you feel i mean what other support did you feel like he might have benefited from despite not having an overlapping fullback because we can't always play with that white Saka combination it needs to be we need to add another element so that you know oppositions are kept guessing yeah absolutely I, I think you can't underestimate the understanding that Ben White and Saka have they've just played so many games together over the last year and that was also Jurian Timber's first start. He came on, I think he got about 30 minutes against the All-Stars. So he's learning his teammates. He's getting used to how we play. And we were also playing against a very, very aggressive Man United team. So we saw some of the tackles that went in on Saka. Bruno left his foot in on him. And then the one from Martinez was a really, really poor tackle. That was pretty out of order for a preseason game. And one of those that fits the old category, if that was Granite Shaka. And it's so, yeah, I think there, there's that element with Saka as well, where without the overlapping run, it's he's being targeted in a very aggressive fashion at the minute. But he can handle that. And I think we, we are going to have to be patient with Timber, but I completely agree. You need variety in that position. If we just have overlappers and the tactic is get the ball to sack as someone overlaps, great. That works a lot of the time, but we're also going to need a, a, a player that can do something different in that role. And even when Tomiyasu plays that position, he's not quite as attacking as Ben White is in that role. And that's going to take time for Timber to get that cohesion and understanding with Saka. Because again, in the way White goes wide and overlaps is white had the second most overlaps in the league last year only est opinion at brighton had more overlaps mm. and if you look at white's overlaps he's not like what i would call a bombing fullback he doesn't just go up and down and up and down kind of relentlessly he very much picks and chooses his moments of when he's going to overlap and like if you compare that to like an abuye or someone like that who just went overlapped at any opportunity uh, ben White's a very different fullback. So it will take time for Timber to get the understanding in that role, but also in the way that White can stretch a defence by kind of moving in like or going round Saka. If we've got an overlapper on the inside, or, uh, if we've got, sorry, a, um, an inverted fullback on the right in the way we do with Sinchenko on the left, mm. That should mean that we've got an overlapper on the left, which should stretch the pitch in that sense and give Saka a slightly different type of space in in the way that Martinelli's got at times. And 
again, that's down to how our tennis sees it, but it's something everyone knows how Arsenal play. And I think this is one of those that when people say we need to work out how to do X, Y, and Z, this is Arteta figuring out how to do X, Y, and Z. He's identified the players. He's clearly got a plan. It's now just getting those players to understand the plan. And that's exactly what preseason's for. So that's going to take time. And I think over the next few games, we'll really see things clicking because not only are players learning these new roles, they're also building the fitness, which we, we obviously know is key in preseason. So, so yeah, it will just take a bit of time for all these things to click. But one, one of the things I've been thinking about, Saka's played a lot of minutes in preseason already. This is off the back of playing a lot of minutes last season, both for Arsenal and England. It really kind of highlighted to me that we need someone else to be able to cover for him because with Champions League football and so on and everything else, we really need to be competing for some kind of trophy this year. Mm. We can't run him into the ground. So it's that is one of the things that I have picked up from these games is with Martinelli on the left, you've got Trossard, you've got Smith Rowe and Nelson when he comes back that can all slide into that left position. With Saka, with the exception of Jesus, there isn't really anyone that can naturally play on the right and play Jesus there, you lose your best striker. So it's a position that we definitely need some work on. And even the fact that Arteta hasn't trusted anyone else from the start in preseason, that's a pretty telling sign of how highly he holds Saka, but also the difference in level between Saka and everyone else that can play in that role. Yeah, I mean, it got me thinking as I was watching him last night um, about, you know, everything that you've mentioned. The fact that he is the only one who can execute that position well enough. Um, And if it is the case that we need to have Bakaya Saka play 90% of the games, then we need to figure out a way to take the load off him. Maybe figure out a way to, um, you know, implement a playing style that doesn't, necessarily require Saka to be constantly taking his man on, constantly being hacked at. Um, and, I, and so I was watching um, Martin Odegaard, you know, when we were going down that flank and it became evidently clear that there were huge gaps between Saka and Odegaard. And I felt like there could have been moments where Odegaard could have, you know, applied that support. Um, and actually, when it when it is, you know, Ben White and, and Saka on that side, it, it usually also is Odegaard who comes in short to create those triangles um so you know maybe there's a uh maybe maybe the, the new evolution is to try and implement Odegaard with Saka without um Ben White just to yeah. you know provide some options and just to you know force opposition defenders uh into spaces where we can then exploit um so look we're one nil down Fernandez with a sublime strike and then the game sort of simmers down a little bit with United having a good spell of possession, confidence flowing as well, playing really nice football, which is, you know, pains me to say it. But they did look like a team full of belief and confidence. Um, and it was very soon after that they got their second goal, punishing mistake from from Gabriel. He, you know, he's done that before. And I can't remember whether that was in a preseason game or but I remember clearly there was a an, another goal we conceded where he completely mistimed the the ball when it was coming from the air um and then you know 
tries to retreat. Sancho, great pace, um, smashes the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, to be honest, it was one of those. Obviously, Gabriel can't do that. But again, that's pre-season. Get that out of him. I would rather him do it now. And Arteta gives him a good telling off in the dressing room. Mm. Uh, But I, I was actually really impressed with Sancho's pace because for the last two years since he's been at United... He's looked overweight, he's looked sluggish, and he looked like he had completely lost that burst. So I was a bit worried whenever he broke away and finished with such composure because I thought maybe this guy's going to come back and be a decent player. But but yeah, it was... I can't remember when he's done it before, but I think you're right, there has been something like that. But look, the reality is I've seen pretty much every top centre-back over the years make some kind of mistake like that. And... Gabriel's not immune to that. We know he's got the odd mistake in him. But Gabriel's one of those players, if you look at Arsenal Twitter, people are very quick to like, jump on him when he makes a mistake. Saliba made mistakes last season. He Obviously, Saliba was key to our how we played and everything, but he wasn't immune to mistakes either because that's the nature of the role. You're not only playing in a highly demanding position that if you make a mistake, it quite often leads to a goal, you're playing in a position for Arsenal where you are so far away from your own goal that if you make a mistake, a striker's got a huge amount of space to run into. And that's what we saw last night. So it was a poorly timed clearance. And he seemed to be trying to instruct players around him what to do and completely took his eye off the ball, which is like, it's something some players have that they can instruct as they play. Jorginho can do that very well. But Gabriel, just keep your eye on the ball and deal with it first and then get back to pointing and shouting and doing whatever you want to do. But as I said, if there's a time to do it, it's in a pre-season friendly a few games in. Yeah, okay. Just one more point I want to talk about before we move on to the second half, and that's um, near the end of the, the, the first half, United were seeing a lot of the ball being played on the right-hand side. And I felt like that was partly due to not having a, a midfielder that, that tracked back like Shaka did. Um, Havertz was obviously positioned quite high up the pitch, playing as a as an eight or, you know, some people were saying a ten. Um, the only real kind of central midfielder or defensive midfielder who was having to do that work was Declan Rice. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that th- I think Arteta's plans or his ideas going into next season, his preference would probably be to play as, as a sole six, but it was evident to see last night that it wasn't working because we were allowing far too much space to be exploited down the flanks. Now United chose to go down the um, left-hand side because the right-hand side was quite strong when you had um, the likes of, you know, Odegaard there, Saka as well, um, two players who know how to do their defensive duties-ish, but also you had Saliba there. On the other side, it was it just felt like because there was a lack of uh, a figure, just a presence there. And with Granit Xhaka, I know he was more advanced last season, but a really great discipline he had was to do his defensive duties um, you know, no matter how high we were up the pitch, if it's a counter-attack and the team's attacking us, he would always track back and he would always try and do yeah. that, that that dirty part of the game. Havertz, not so much. And I don't know whether that's kind of the nature of the player him, the player himself. Um, but, you know, we can't we can't resort to, to, to this kind of shape, can we, next season? Too dangerous, it's, no? 
Yeah, obviously, Havertz, what we're being told, and I, I've been saying pretty much every time we've spoke, I don't see Havertz as an eight, particularly against top opposition. So it, all the kind of fears that I had from him in that role were what we saw last night. But he didn't even seem to be playing as an eight. It seemed much more of a 10 that he was playing, as you've said. And um, we, with Granit Xhaka in that role, he was, although at times he was the most advanced player in our team, he did always switch on. So as you said, he, he was very good at tracking back. And I think Shaka was someone with just a tremendous engine and this like instilled work rate where he just like kept kind of like trodden along and it, it wasn't in his nature to kind of stop. So I don't think that comes as naturally to Kai Havertz. And it's going to be something that we have to really have to work out a plan for. It, it's definitely a concern for me and it's something at times yesterday or last night we looked very exposed on the whenever United went long he he was slow to track back and I think sometimes it's that and I it's it's almost a natural trait within players it's that switch that goes off where the minute the ball goes one way you're switched on you're ready to go and other players really have to work on that. But there are some players, and this is from grassroots level up to like professional footballers, there's some people that comes like really, really naturally for. I don't think it does for Havertz, which is why I've had those concerns about him playing as an eight, because Rice was playing very much towards the left of the pitch. And as I've said, that's where he's operated a lot for West Ham. It's in that kind of left half space. But with him doing that it took a lot of control away from the middle and it meant that united were able to bypass us quite easily in midfield and then with Havertz playing so high up the pitch it, it left us the distances were far too big we we didn't have the the ability to play those quick like one touch movements and work our way up the pitch like that because everyone was too far apart and Again, I don't. It's preseason, and I don't want to overly criticize Havertz for this because I, I don't think Rice was anything special. I don't. I think Odegaard was probably the best of the three. He won a lot of duels. He he had a very high completion rate with his passes, and he he did a fair bit of good work without doing anything exceptional. So this is something that we definitely need to learn. We need to work on quickly because we do only have three, possibly one behind closed doors game left before we have the first game of the season. And that, that's including the community shield. So I want to see players learning quite quickly. And again, that may be that we play party and rice in midfield, but against the top team, I, I am worried about Havertz in that role. And I have been from we were first linked to him. Yeah, I, I do feel like, though, with someone like Havertz, signing him was primarily to add depth rather than to uh, introduce him straight into the starting lineup. And that's not having a dig at Havertz himself. We were such a well-oiled team last season. You know, there's there's no need to have drastic changes. Um, so I think yeah, everything but... needs to be done in stages, doesn't it? We've lost Shaka. Um, losing party at the same time would be detrimental because it would mean that we would need two players to come in and to hit the ground running. Unrealistic to expect that, even with someone like Declan Rice, who's going to need to learn 
um, not just our playing style, but just the overall expectations and the level of performances are just going to have to go up a level compared to what you're playing at West Ham at. Whilst I think he has committed, everyone's pretty much coming in to add more depth and quality and depth. Losing Shaka, as you've just said, that has led to us needing to have a starter in that position. Mm. And Rice has never played in that role before. Haberts has never played in that role before. But then not many teams actually play that system. So it, it is difficult. And I, it, this is why someone like Kudus at Ajax is appealing because he can play in multiple different roles and he looks like someone that could play in that eight position. But again, I'm less excited about him than other people. I think his technique's not as clean as other people think it is, but he does look like a very good player. He looks like a very determined player and so on. But right now, Arteta seems to be, the way he's talking is that Havertz seems to be brought in as someone that will start a lot of games. But I guess we're just going to have to wait and see on that because losing Shaka at this time is a risk. We've lost someone that's learned that role, done very well, and it has got a really good understanding with his teammates and is a leader. And we're, we're trying to find someone to replace him in that position and really keep that cohesion alive. So that's where the challenge is going to be for Arteta. Yeah, I do hope that we see Havertz come out of his shell a little bit more. I don't know whether it's just that's that's his personality trait, but it always worries me when you've got a player who's a little bit quiet and a little bit timid on the pitch, um, as opposed to someone like Rice. Um, anyway, you know, I'm sure we can uh, talk about Havertz a little bit more detail in the second half. Um, but before we move on to the second half, I do want to quickly go through the giveaway that we were... Um, that we were doing or that we're currently doing on Twitter. So we're giving away a brand new Arsenal away kit and a lovely silver um, Arsenal pendant to one lucky Guna. And so I'm going to pull up the Twitter um, competition generator winner thingy. And the winner is... No drum roll, no? Okay. <laughs> okay the winner is frank cap so f oh fan frank cap f-a-n-c-k-a-p from argentina um congratulations frank cap you are the lucky winner of our competition oh my god i'm just going through his twitter profile and he's he's entered like a whole load of giveaways his whole page is just entering giveaways i don't even know if he's an arsenal fan He's entered <laughs> Barcelona giveaway, even a Chelsea giveaway. I feel a bit bad. Um, but, you know, rules are the rules. So, Frank Cap, you are the winner of our giveaway. Um, do reach out to us on Twitter at Arsenal Therapy. Well, you're following us, so you'll know. Um, and we will get that sent out to you. Okay. The second half. What are your hopes going into it? Because the first half ended quite flat. And, yeah, I was a little bit dejected with that performance and I did expect to see wholesale changes surprisingly though we only got one change in the second half which showed me one of two things 
Number one, the players need the players on the pitch are what are you know the players Arteta is going to be focusing on going into next season. He wants them to be really fit and he wants them to really you know start building their minutes. And or number two, he doesn't want to get beaten by Manchester United. Um, Ten Hag, on the other hand, made wholesale changes. I think ten changes. So what what were you thinking going into the second half? Yeah, well, I I've kind of been looking at what Arteta's done to date in preseason and uh, against the All Stars, he didn't make any changes at halftime, so I didn't really expect much. And um, obviously, there was one change with Kieran Tierney coming on. Um, I thought Tommy Yasu was okay in the first half. I didn't think he was as good as you did. Hmm. So, um, but yeah, I, I wasn't surprised to see there just being the one change and. I think Arteta's trying to build players up to kind of towards the 90 as much as possible. So again, against the All-Stars, we started to see changes from the 50th minute onwards. And then um, there was a bulk of changes around the 65th minute. And that was very much what I expected from last night as well. And it was kind of what we got. So... So, yeah, but ultimately, in terms of what I expected, was a bit of an increase in intensity, um, a bit more bite, a bit more hunger to go out, and a, a bit more kind of cohesion amongst the group because I expected Arteta to kind of get the, the midfield in particular and kind of drill into them what he expected from them in terms of, as I've said, the distance is being too wide between them. You can't have Hello, Rice is a machine and a really powerful runner and a great kind of defensive like mopper upper. You can't have him completely isolated against a team like United. So that was my key thought going into it is this is where we can shape up in the second half and start to see something a bit more productive. Yeah, the second half didn't start as as well as I thought it would. Um, you know, not sharp, not confident. United playing very front footed, very confident. You could tell, you know, they're playing like a team of two 0 up, knocking the ball around, and clearly the body language from the Arsenal boys didn't look as positive as I would have hoped. And I'm not, no, I don't want to, I don't want to read too much into it. But here's here's another reason for why I was concerned after the game: the body language suggesting that they're not. You know, it's it's human nature. And when you're when you're losing, when you're down, it's difficult to to psych yourself up to be able to play with that level of confidence or to be able to reset and go again, even if it's the second half and even if it's a completely different game. Um, I'm sure that you know this is we we we're not going to take this into the Barcelona game because it's a preseason friendly, but there is a tendency that could potentially happen. Um, the fact that they looked quite uns- unsure of themselves and a little bit shell-shocked was strange. You know, I haven't seen that side of Arsenal and to see it in a preseason friendly was even more a bit, um, you know, something that I just didn't really, I couldn't grasp. I couldn't grasp the players feeling that kind of, uh, you know, uncertainty about themselves. Um do you think going into the Barcelona game that it will very much be a case of just reset, go? Is it as easy as that? Or is a little bit of time needed to process and to find mechanisms to get past this defeat? I don't know. I, I feel like maybe I'm building it up more than what it is. But Yeah, I, I think there maybe you are. But I think it... As I've said, it's preseason. But one of the interesting things, so I watched Arteta's post-match interview before yeah. we came on here, 
and which I know you did as well. And one of the key lines I took from it was, I want to see those players hurting. Mm-hmm. He was like, I don't like losing. I'm not happy tonight. And it was the, I want to see them hurting. Uh, there was a clip of a uh, pan round on the bench to Saliba and Saka. And they both looked annoyed. They didn't look like two players. Like the days of Abamyang, Ozil, and so on sitting on the bench in pre season at the end of the game, just saying it is right, that's our job done. We've gone out, done the that that's another sixty minutes in the legs. These players, this is a different mentality, a different group, and that's all coming from the manager. But I think the focus and everything that we've talked about with this group, a lot of that's kind of self-driven as well as the intensity that Arteta brings. And I think it's just going to be a case of we will pick ourselves up from this. And in some ways, a defeat every now and again isn't a bad thing because I think one of my worries going into this was if we went out and battered everyone in preseason and we had it too easy and then suddenly we played City in the Community Shield and we went in fairly complacent or arrogant, we could have ended up getting beaten and in not the nicest fashion and then our heads drop and suddenly we start to panic whereas like one of the they say one of the best ways to win a game is to win it with clear and obvious ways of how we could have won it more efficiently so it gives the coach a lot to work on in the training ground but you've still got those three points in the bag and in pre-season, sometimes reminding the players that there's other very good teams out there isn't a bad thing because on the training ground, uh, as you said, this is why we play these games and we don't just spend time on the training ground. You can believe you're the best team in the world on the training ground. And we've seen Declan Rice talk about how good this group of players is. But whenever you're faced with a good side, a Man United are a good side and the one that I'm actually quite worried about this season is I think Ten Hag's a top manager. It reminds the players that they're playing in the best league in the world and they're going to have to pick themselves up and go out and play. So in some ways, getting a defeat like that's not the worst thing. And hopefully against Barcelona, it just gives them a good kick up the arse that the intensity wasn't right. The Just the level of hunger needs to improve. And I think we'll see that against Barcelona. Okay, I do want to focus on a few positives. I feel like this this podcast has maybe uh, been a little bit, not to say negative, but a little bit critical, um, partly down to, to to the way that I wanted to discuss uh, on today. Yeah, well, but, we're not we're not going to sing everyone's praises after a two 0 defeat and say everything was rosy. And I think if we did, everyone would just be. Our listeners would be questioning our sanity. Yeah, yeah. So, but one of the very one of the other kind of uh, positive, bright sparks and um, surprises, actually, I felt like from the game was from from what I was watching anyway was Eddie Nketiah. Now I know he wasn't in the game as much as we would have liked, but I did I did notice there was usually with Eddie we associate him as someone being almost like a fox in a box type of player making those final runs in behind um I don't know about you I I noticed a real fresh burst of energy pace and speed in his game he was making some really quick sprints um something that I haven't noticed or 
I wouldn't associate Nketiah as a sprinter. I know he's quick. I know he's fast. But last night there was a. I mean, there was there was a few times when he was beating United defenders and almost getting to the ball had it not been for Heaton. Um, in the second half, there was a chance where Odegaard plays a really clever short free kick into Nketiah, makes a really good run, gets to the ball perfectly timed as well, and the finish is just dragged wide. Do you think that yeah. we're this is this is what we're working on with Nketiah? If it's the if it's to be believed that he will be, you know, I don't I'm sure I know he doesn't want to be labelled as the second striker, but you know, inevitably he will be the second striker next season. Do you think this is the, this is the the um, the angle we're going to be focusing on in his game. Um, well, he also had that good moment in the first half quite early on. I think, again, it came in the first 10. You know the one where um, he got in behind and he played a driven cross? Yes. Uh, yeah. And it Varane, Varane was yeah. played it in. Yeah. If the pitch wasn't so dry, that might have just bounced in. Mm-hmm. But um, but on the whole, I actually thought Enkelio was very, very poor. So really? Oh, wow. We've got very different views on this. Um, the big thing with Enkelio is... He arrives too late to the ball. And mm. when he arrives late, he this is the same thing that happens, Fabio Vieira. He arrives too late. Um, with Vieira, he gets knocked off the ball. With Enkedia, his touch is very poor. So he was losing the ball, struggling to hold on to it. And I was impressed with his runs off the ball, but I wasn't impressed with his hold-up ability. And I think that's something that we've saw a lot from him over the last year, that his hold-up plays improved massively. And he's very good at shrugging off defenders and giving it to his teammates. And that's probably the biggest improvement that I've seen from him. But again, last night, it's it's the same persistent issue where he's flat-footed and he doesn't arrive in time to the ball. And that leads to him not being able to hold on to it. And if he can improve that, we're going to get a much better player. But again, with his runs off the ball, there was one point that... So we after the Nuremberg game, we were really praising Balogun for his direct runs through yeah. on goal. There was one moment, and Enkedia um, looked up and he sprinted right between two United defenders, and there was actually space open. And I think it was Odegaard on the ball. He elected to play at the Saka on the right instead. Now, I, that was one of those, I was looking at it and I was thinking, this is the kind of run we want our striker making. Mm. Eddie's just made it and there is space. On another day or another player, that ball's threaded straight through the middle and potentially we see an Enkedia goal. But again, it was a positive sign to see because it's something that I've praised Balogun for. And possibly it's the way Balogun carries himself. It's it's very obvious when he starts running through on goal. Less so with Enkedia. He doesn't have that same power or swagger that Balogun has. But but yeah, on the whole, whole I guess saying he was very, very poor was a, is a bit harsh. I, I just wasn't overly impressed with him. And I, I was, I think he had some good moments, but I, I just don't think he's good enough for Arsenal this year. And I think... N- w- we can't replace everyone in the second tier in one summer. and I, But I think Eddie's going to be one of those that'll be out the door next summer. Yeah. And look, I guess my praises on, on Eddie are predicated on the fact that we haven't seen 
anything much of Eddie Nketiah during this preseason campaign. So to see him, um, you know, make those really sharp sprints was was nice. It was nice to see. It was very surprising though to not see Balogun feature. Um, is that yeah. an indication that he's he's basically gone? Yeah, especially with it being in the states. So obviously he's the USA's new striker, and he would have got a massive reception from that crowd. I, I would imagine from both sets of fans being that he's America's new poster boy. But at the same time, to me, it kind of give a bit of a message. Arteta has said that those that didn't feature last night will feature against Barcelona. Mm. But at the same time, he was very, very clear about Thomas Partey in the lead up to the game that Partey was staying. He was part of his plans and so on. And in that interview, he was very... It was a very, no, this is the plan kind of answer. Every time on Balogun, we, we've had a very kind of wishy-washy answer from Arteta of let's see what's going to happen. And I think the fact that he didn't get any minutes at all was quite telling last night. Yeah. Okay, 58th minute. We're approaching the hour mark. Arsenal make changes. Thomas Partey, Ben White and Gabby Jesus come on for Urien Timber, Declan Rice and Gabby Martinelli. Um, I felt like almost instantly the the tempo of the game was lifted a little bit. Ben giving yeah. giving Saka the options with the overlapping runs, Partey's intelligent awareness, control um, when in possession, just bringing that sense of calmness to the midfield. Um, so, yeah, I feel, I feel like since the changes were made, both sides, um, you know, United deciding to sit off and Arsenal holding the possession, trying to break them down. We have to give a little bit of credit to United because despite being 2-0 up, you know, in in this for the for the majority, for the for the main uh, the, the the for the large part of the second half, they decided to sit off, and you know they did a good job of keeping that clean sheet. Um, because you know, bringing those changes did give us that uh, fresh bit of energy. Um, but still, nothing really came to it. We were unable to get the ball in the box on too many occasions. Um, is that just you know down to again maybe a lack of sharpness? Um, or do we need to be pointing anything out specifically? Um, I, I guess it is a lack of sharpness, but I, I do think understanding is a big thing as well. It's just there, there's a lot of rotation, a lot of different lineups and so on, and that all plays into itself. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't be too concerned at this point. I think if we get past Barcelona and possibly into the Sofia game and we're struggling to see that then yeah maybe we can have cause for concern but right now I would say let's get these players playing together and see kind of what we've got in a couple of games because it could be that we've got a whole other level of intensity against Barcelona everyone looks fitter and it's also important to remember we we played on Thursday night against the All-Stars and then played on... It was Thursday, wasn't it? Yes. Thursday, and then we played again on Saturday. So after pretty much no football for about two months, and then some of those players have had barely any football for nearly 10 weeks, uh, then you've played the Nuremberg game, then we've done the Skills Challenge on Wednesday night, which I, I know is just a piss around, but... It's still one of those, it's like out in front of a crowd and everything. You've got a lot of media attention to get used to. Then you play on Thursday in the All-Stars game. 
in a very very warm environment and then 48 hours later you've got another game so these are all things to, to take into consideration and one of the interesting things that i didn't know when like uh, about preseason was adrian clark was saying in the breakdown he said that some managers um every manager treats preseason differently some managers work you very hard on the training ground and you do your normal sessions in the day of a game other managers treat it like a game so you don't train you have like a normal match preparation and so on and he didn't say either way what arteta did because he said he didn't know but again it's interesting to hear all these things where these are things we don't know what goes on behind the scenes so give it a couple of weeks see how we're looking man and i think we're going to be seeing a very very different arsenal and it's as i say that's what preseason's all about okay as we're approaching the end of the show let's just quickly have a chat about the players that came on um in the second half you know a few cameos uh, kieran tierney um emil smith wrote trossard i felt like very bright you know, uh, moments when they came on, especially Kieran Tierney. Um, he was one of the few players on the pitch showing a level of aggression, matching United's intensity, which was really nice to see. Everyone else was kind of below standards. Uh, we have to remember that it was a pre-season friendly. Who, who impressed for you the most? Um, I think there's two. Um, one was Jorginho again. Hmm. He's very quickly becoming one of my favourite players to watch in an Arsenal shirt. Uh, I just thought, a bit like when Thomas Partey came on, um, Thomas brought an understanding to that six rule. He very much knows how to play it. And then when he went to right, actually, I would include Thomas in that as well. So he um, he looked very comfortable at six straight away. He looks very, very fit. He looks like he is in really good shape and ready for the season quite early on, which again feeds into my theory that he was injured at the end of last season and was playing through something but and again when he went out to right back he had a couple of good sprints opened up those legs and really got going so i think that could be an option for us again this this year but with Jorginho, he looked very very comfortable he was getting on the ball he got a, a level of tempo to the game and yeah i just thought he was really impressive from the minute he came on and he's just a real leader for us and someone that I think is going to play a big role this season. By a big role, I don't mean he's going to be starting every game. I think he will play a lot of minutes across the season and probably rack up a good few starts without being like the first 11 player because he's got a lot of quality and we need to be tapping into that. But the final one, well, actually, there was four. I'm, I'm lying. I'm just adding players to this list. <laughs> Leandro Trossard, I thought, looked very good again. He's someone that impresses me pretty much every time he steps on the pitch. Yeah. And he did. He was playing in that eight position again, and he looked a lot more comfortable there than Havertz did. And again, Trossard's approaching 30. He's not someone who... He's not going to get any quicker. And... If anything, those bursts of pace are going to drop down slightly as he gets closer and beyond that 30 mark. So a bit like Santi Cazorla, Trossard's a player that could really thrive at eight. But the kind of key one that I was really, really glad to see was Emil Smith-Rowe. Yeah. 
So he looked really fit. He looked lean. He looked hungry. And he had a couple of really good carries when he got on the ball. It's that it's that real positivity where he gets the ball, he looks up, and he's always looking to pop it off to a teammate and keep going. He had uh, he had one header in the box. I can't I'm trying to think back to it, but it was it was one of those. It was like he went and he attacked the ball, and I think we won a corner off it or something. But but yeah, all in all, I thought he just looked really good and sharp and ready to play. And it's the first time I've seen Smith Rowe look like that for a long time because even when he came on at the end of last season, he didn't look particularly fit. And he looked a bit lost, and his level seemed quite a bit below the rest of his teammates. That wasn't the case last night. And I know on on the last pod, we talked to Charles Watts about this, and Charles was someone that was very much really hoping that he'd be coming back and bringing that level to the team. So I'm just really pleased to see him getting the minutes because there was a bit of worry in me when we signed Fabio Vieira that Maybe Arteta didn't fully trust Smithrow, but Smithrow looks much, much closer to being a first-team player at Arsenal than Fabio Vieira does. And I, I, I was just really glad to see him on the pitch last night. Yeah, he looked like a player who was, you know, willing to fight for a place. Unlike, um, you know, I say this with... Uh, take 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 what I'm about to say with a pinch of salt. Unlike someone like Adi Nketiah, who almost, um, you know, just just play, runs with the motion. Uh, Smith Rowe, someone came on the pitch, was very direct, was very eager to be involved, and you know had an opportunity as well to 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 score. Um, I'll be surprised if we don't see more of him against Barcelona. But yeah, as you say, someone like Vieira. It will be a worrying time for him, especially after he missed that penalty. And look, I don't want to read into it too much, but um, a player with someone who's, who's I think, is suffering with confidence as it is, it won't do any good for his confidence. Um, do, do you think that someone like Fabio Vieira will potentially be looking at alternative options for next season when? you know, someone like Smith-Rowe is back. What's his headspace going to be at this moment in time? Because it doesn't look like he's improved drastically from last season. We haven't seen that bulk up that we needed to during this preseason. He's still quite fragile. He seems to be quite a little bit, you know, timid physically. Um, Albeit having great technical abilities and and you know he he's got a nice touch on the ball um he has a tendency of striking the ball but the physicalities is a big issue isn't it it is an issue but again i come back to that same point with it's all about your speed of arrival if Vieira arrives quickly and he gets the ball and he's arriving ahead of the defender. He can pop it off and he can turn and use his mobility and agility to really open up the pitch for Arsenal. If he's if he arrives flat-footed, he's always going to be knocked off the ball. There's no way Fabio Vieira is going to win duels against a, a, a kind of rugged or tough midfielder, defender, whatever it is. But there are players um, like Leandro Trossard who is, you know, similar stature, but he's got a great, 
you know, center of gravity. He's really well balanced. And even when he's, you know, pushed and shoved around, he's able to stay on his two feet. It just seems like Vieira hasn't developed that side of his game. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough one with Vieira. I think, again, it are, it's down to how Trossard arrives to the ball. If you look at, like, again, the speed at which he receives the ball, he's quite often getting in there first, so he gets his foot to it first. If Vieira arrives slowly, he's getting into a shoulder to shoulder with the player. And again, it's the psychological thing. If someone knows that they're facing someone that can be knocked off the ball, easily they're going to go in that bit harder hmm. and just make sure they definitely win it so the the big thing and I, I wrote a piece on this a few months ago it was is Fabio Vieira brave enough to play for Arsenal I don't doubt the guy's physical or technical qualities I think in the squad he's up there with the very best he's got really good end product when he's confident his dead balls are incredibly poor but it, the, the thing I want to see is an increase in intensity. I want to see him on his toes, moving, looking for the ball, calling for it. And I think you had a good point as well with confidence. And he doesn't look like a player, even when he walked up to hit that penalty in a, a shootout that really didn't matter. He didn't look like he was going to even hit the target. And of all the players, when he skied that ball over the bar, he looked like the one that was going to do that. So... I don't know what the future holds for him. I do think there's quality in his game. I thought he was quite good against Nuremberg. But I really don't know. I don't know what the plan is for him. And I think that's one of the things that's confusing me with him. So he looks most comfortable on the right side of the pitch. So in the in the role that Odegaard plays. And... I just don't see a pathway for him to be playing there regularly other than maybe getting 20 minutes at the end of a game if we want to give Odegaard a breather. But he did cost 35 million. If you think he costs more than Zinchenko. Yeah. It's like, if you look at that in context, that's a lot of money for a player that was a big, big gamble for us. And so, yeah, I, I and I think many Arsenal fans expected him to be someone that we used in that left eight role and rotated more with Granit Xhaka. But as the season went on, it was clear that when Vieira played there, that actually we lost a huge piece of the puzzle without Xhaka in the team. And I don't think that was necessarily just because Xhaka was playing well. I think that was a big part down to the drop-off that we saw when Vieira actually played. And that Southampton game last year was really telling because off the ball he just looked completely clueless and he looked like a kid that was playing men's football for the first time and anyone that's ever done that and gone from youth team football to kind of senior level there is a huge difference and suddenly you're playing with men Fabio Vieira has been doing that for a while but again he didn't play a huge amount of football at Porto he was someone that he had his breakout season when we bought him. And I think we probably think he's more experienced than he is. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really strange one for us because I don't really know what his future is going to be at Arsenal. Mm, I guess time will tell. Um, right, just really one final question. You can answer it in a sentence. Um, when do you think Arsenal will sign Kylian Mbappe? Um, I think tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy yeah. what's happening with him. Yeah, I, I 
I think there's only one place that Mbappe's got, and that's Real Madrid. Yeah. So I, I think Mbappe's probably handled this pretty badly himself. Yeah. And if it hadn't have been for Jude Bellingham, Madrid probably would have been able to sign him this summer, but unless but you know something, it could actually if he goes to Madrid, it could lead to them having to sell a player. And it could lead to someone being available on the market that perhaps Arteta or someone else looks at and thinks there's a player, there's an opportunity there, and we can't afford to miss out on them at that point. And that's where him and Eddie do, Eddie do their sales pitch to the Cronkies and get a few more funds released, or some of the sales are put towards that. But but yeah, we shall wait and see what happens there. But either way, it's going to be an astronomical amount of money that is going to be so far detached from real life that it's going to be pretty disgusting to see. Yeah, yeah. yeah it'll be interesting to see where he actually ends up. Um, okay, good stuff. Well, it's that time of the show again where we must say goodbye. Um, once again, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's listened up until this point. Thank you very, very much. If you did enjoy this episode, please do give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you thought of the show by reaching out to us on Twitter. You can find us over there at Arsenal Therapy. You can also you can also find Adam over there at AdamKeys underscore. And you can find myself over there at Gunner since 96. As always, we will be back next week to give you your usual weekly dose of Arsenal Therapy. But if you can't wait until then, head over to the Arsenal Therapy YouTube channel for the 15-minute show where we'll be taking you through all the latest bits of Arsenal updates every Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8.30am. And yes, you guessed it, the show is indeed 15 minutes long. So until then, take care of yourselves, have a great week, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.